0: Welcome to Marquette Missionary Church. Here's today's message. Well, at this time I'd like for us to dive in to the Word of God. For the last two weeks we have been looking at 2 Timothy. You might have remembered what I've been preaching on. They say the average person remembers a sermon about an hour. I believe. So you probably forgot. So I'm going to give you a quick update on what we have been been talking about for the last two weeks. We have been looking at 2 Timothy chapters 3 and chapters 4. And Timothy is, this letter is written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy is a young man. Paul is training him up in how to be leading churches. And at the very end of 2 Timothy 3 and 4, Paul drives home the importance of God's Word. Last week, we really dove into verses 3 and 4, which I'd like to reread for us today. It says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I was challenging us and encouraging us that we need to be men and women that are clinging to God's word. For us to know God's word deeply, for us to understand God's word, but most importantly, for us to be spending time in God's word. It's very difficult to know God's word if you don't spend any time in God's word. And, and for the last couple of weeks, I have been kind of challenging us as a church and as myself for us, for this year in 2021, for us as a church, for us as individuals, to be reading through the entire Bible in a year. We've got uh, a Bible reading plan out there. You can follow along with that one, but I would just say you don't even necessarily need that one particularly as long as that you are spending time in God's Word every single day. God's Word is here to correct us, to lead us, to transform us. But if we're not spending time in His Word, it's very difficult, I believe, for God to be working on our lives. So I have been challenging us there. Well, this week I do want for us to be shifting gears. But before we do that, I, I, I am kind of curious how, for those of you who have said, hey, I want to be reading God's word. Uh, I was actually talking with uh, Brad this past week, and he said, you should be challenging us and asking us. So we're going to have like a like confession time real quick, just... Just for some of you here, have you been keeping up on reading God's word this year so far? I see like one thumbs up, a couple. Those of you who have not, we want to shame you, obviously, no, not by any means here. but I do want us to be periodically. I will be challenging you and reminding you, spend time in God's Word. I got a little bit behind, so this morning I woke up a little bit early and uh, spent some extra time. In God's word today, and I would encourage you to continue to press on. If you fall behind, I don't want you to walk in guilt and shame. That is not God's plan. Uh, I want you to be encouraged to continue onward there. Well, today we are going to be shifting gears. We're going to be starting a new series called The Kingdom of heaven. And the reason why I wanted to dive into this new series today, in the book Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, if you have never read that book, Dallas Willard is an excellent author. Uh, I kind of compare him to a lot to C.S. Lewis. You will read a page and then you'll have to stop and you'll have to reread that page to figure out what he just said. But in his book, Divine Conspiracy, Dallas pointed out The fact that the kingdom of heaven was one of the most talked about topics during the time of Jesus, and yet it is one of of the least written, preached, and talked about topics today. That when Jesus walked, and as you read the Gospels, you will see this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, and Jesus talked about this over And over and over again. And yet, as we think about today, it is a topic that is not talked about that much. Um, It's just, we don't really preach on it too much. We don't really talk about it. And I would would point out, I did just kind of mention this. When you read the Gospels, you will see kingdom of heaven or you'll see kingdom of God. They are interchangeable. So they're not two different things here. As you read it, you will see those phrases come up. And Jesus preached on this time and time again. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom has drawn near to you, or the kingdom is at hand. So I wanted us to kind of take some time and look at what is the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus talked about it, the the Bible speaks about it over and over again. So what is it? Now, before we dive in, I do want to say and point out something. The kingdom of heaven and the church are different things. This can be a little bit confusing at times. A lot of people throughout history, throughout time, have kind of thought that God's church, us, the body of believers, is The same as the kingdom of heaven. And biblically, they are different. We are God's people. We operate within God's kingdom. But we are not the kingdom of heaven according to scripture. And I think it's very important for us to make this clear in our own minds. Because oftentimes, we can get so focused on the church that we will miss God's kingdom. Let me just say that again. We can get so focused on the church that we can actually miss God's kingdom. A wise pastor told me this. He, he said, Jeff, you don't make decisions based on the church, but on God's kingdom. If you focus on the kingdom of God, God will take care of his church. And I, I, I truly believe that as a pastor here, my goal and my focus I really do not want it to be on the church. I want it to be on God's kingdom, and I want to be pointing you and other people to God's kingdom. God uses his church. His church is very important. But I would say our focus and our understanding has to be on God's kingdom. Because if you focus on the church, that's when all sorts of problems wind up. And I've been in church long enough, and you've probably been in church long enough to see churches have all these, all these issues, all of these problems, and I would argue the reason why they have all of that is because they're focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on the church, and they're not focused on the kingdom of heaven. So what is God's kingdom? And I want us to establish a definition, and I want to look at Psalms 103.19. And we're going to put that up there, and I want to read Psalm 103, 19, this is where we're going get, to get the definition for God's kingdom. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. I'm going to read that again. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalms 103 is saying the Lord is in charge. The Lord is ruler over all. But the challenge is, is we don't always see this. Scripture teaches us clearly that God is in charge. That God rules over all. But when we live out our everyday life, we don't always see this play out. Am I right? Like, you know, just in the physical realm we don't always see God's kingdom ruling overall because we are just merely humans. But to understand God's kingdom, we must understand this vital truth. Who is in charge of everything? Who rules everything? Who's in charge of every nation? Who is in charge of all people? Now, The world around us may not recognize who is in charge, and I'd actually challenge you this week. This is actually a very weird experimental game that you should do. Ask people in your life who is in charge. Like, go on to, like, college campus. You know, college is, like, kicking back up. Just, like, walk around and just ask people, like, hey, like, I'm just kind of wondering. Just got just a quick question for you. Nothing crazy. Who's in charge? And watch the answers come in. And we ourselves should be thinking about this. Who is in charge? Because the world around us, you're going to get all sorts of different answers. You know, maybe in the state of Michigan, you might say our governor is in charge. In the United States, we might say our president is in charge. But the key to understanding God's kingdom is answering this question. Who is in charge of us? Of everything? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3 this morning, and we are going to take a look at what Scripture teaches on this. I want you to, uh, to uh, stand, and we are going to uh, see this interaction uh, between John the Baptist and some religious people, and we're going to get a little bit of insight into God's kingdom this morning. So this is Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We will be reading. It says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Verse 4, now John wore wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. When Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region about the Jordan were coming out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 9, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. Verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Let us pray. Father God, as we, as we seek you today, Father, I pray, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would come and minister to us, Lord. God, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and that you would do a work in our hearts and minds through your word today. Father, we give you praise, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So, who is John the Baptist? Some of you who have been in church probably know who John the Baptist is, but John is a forerunner to Christ. He came, as what Scripture says here, to prepare the way for Jesus. He came to inform people of who was coming. It's interesting, John was actually a cousin of Jesus. And we only have a few brief dialogue interactions that John had with people. We don't have a whole lot of information on John. We only kind of have a little bit of interaction here. And then later on, we're going to see another interaction of John being in prison here. But John came to represent who Christ is. And he came before him to get people ready for Christ's coming Now, we get this great interaction with John and some religious leaders. It says the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came out and they wanted to see what everyone was talking about. You can kind of picture this scene here. Here is John. Some would call him a crazy man because of how he looked and dressed and what the description is here. He's covered in camel's hair. He's got a leather strap around his waist all he lives off of is locusts and honey and he's living in the wilderness. I just want you just to kind of like, you know, we kind of read this and we think, oh, you know, it's just John. But to the people, this would have been a little bit weird even for their standards back then. But, 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 but here is John and he's in the wilderness. He is in and by the Jordan River and people are coming out to John by the masses And they are getting baptized, and they are repenting of their sins. And then these religious people come out. They want to know, what's happening here? Like, like, what's going on? John, like, you know, they want to see what is taking place here. Now, it's very interesting, because when you look at verse 7, look how John starts his conversation with these people. You brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever taken a debate class, but like one of the rules in debate is not to insult the other person right away. John did not learn this in high school. He forgot about this back in college. Uh, John's first words to these people was a straight-up insult. He wasn't... uh, he wasn't saying, hey, welcome to what's going on here. Hey, guys, it's so glad to see you guys today. Let me show you. Let me tell you. His very first words to him, he calls him a brood of vipers. Now, th- this is terminology we don't necessarily use in our day and age. If you've ever called someone a brood of vipers, uh, let me know after church. I'd love to Love to hear how that played out and what the circumstances were there. But John looks at them, and John is keeping with the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets, they were not messing around either. They got right to the heart of the matter time and time again. And that is what John is doing here. This term brood is literally you offsprings. By calling them vipers, he is referring, some would say, as if you look back on Genesis chapter 3 how Satan was the snake to came and deceive. And John is looking at them and he's calling them sons or daughters of Satan. And who you are and what they were doing and what they were saying, they were literally a danger to the world around them. And those are John's first words to them. Just to let you guys know, you guys are all terrible people. You guys are spreading Satan's lies. And then he goes right into a question. Who warns you to flee from the, from the wrath to come? This is a rhetorical question with a little bit of sarcasm mixed in here because John is the one who is warning them of the wrath to come. John is the one who is calling them to repentance. And John looks at them And John knows that they have no signs of repentance among them. Remember, they weren't there to get baptized. They weren't there how everyone else was coming out. Everyone else was coming out there. They were confessing their sins and they were getting baptized. But these people, they just wanted to see the show. They just wanted to see what was going on. And John calls them to the floor right away. Look at verses 8 through 10. John says this after calling them a brood of vipers. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. In verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that does the Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, these two religious groups is very, very interesting here. You've got the Sadducees and you've got the Pharisees. The Sadducees, this group was interesting because they're the, a little bit opposite of the Pharisees here. They were politically liberal in their thinking and religiously conservative, They had made peace with the Roman government around them. And I've mentioned this many, many times. When Jesus comes, Jesus is getting born into Israel, but Israel is actually getting ruled over by the Romans. The Romans had conquered basically the entire Mediterranean Sea all around it. And the Israelites' people, God's people, were getting governed by the Romans. And the Sadducees had kind of gotten to a place to where They knew that God's people were meant to be ruled by themselves, but they kind of got to a place where they were kind of at peace with the Romans being there. Well, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were politically conservative and religiously liberal. Think about this. So you've got the Sadducees and Pharisees here. One group is more politically liberal, but conservative religiously, and the other group is liberal politically and or conservatively and they were vice versa but the whole point is this is that these two groups of people represented the religious people at the time they should have known what the kingdom of God was they should have known who God was They should have been people because they were people who studied the Old Testament. They had studied and studied and studied. And they were the top of the top people who should know who God is. And yet when they come out to John, John says, you guys have no idea. (laughs) You guys have no idea who God is. Or what his kingdom is even about. And he challenges them and he calls them out on their very sins. And he even says to them, you guys claim to have Abraham. Now, now I've talked a little bit about, about Abraham here. But whenever you see Father Abraham or claim that you have Abraham as your, your father, know this, the religious people at the time, when someone would, would kind of challenge them, you know like how do we know that like you and God are are on good terms they would always point back to Abraham Abraham was the was the first man God called to establish this nation Israel so they would always lean on the fact that we come from Abraham they would they would trace their 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 heritage and their bloodline but they would lean on this they would constantly say well we have Abraham you know, like, don't you know, like, you know, like Abraham, you know, like since we have Abraham, us and God, we are totally good here. And John is calling them out even on that. He's saying, listen, you claim to have Abraham, but that, you guys are still missing the point of it here. They were completely focused on the wrong things and they were clinging to this idea that just because they have Abraham as a father, that them and God are good. Jump back with me to verses 1 and 2. It says this. And this is why they were missing the kingdom. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's words to these people was very, very simple. To Repent. Don't just give lip service about your sins, but it's time to make a 180 in your life. Now see, many people get, get, get confused and are kind of like trying to like define what does this word repent mean? Have you ever like thought about that? Because scripture talks about this a lot. What does this word actually mean? What does it mean to repent? It's not merely an intellectual change of mind or mere grief but a radical transformation of the entire person. A fundamental turnaround involving mind and action, which results in fruit in keeping with repentance. See, to repent is very simple. Your mind changes and your actions change. You can't just repent in your mind and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. You know, my bad. I'm going to, to stop doing this or that. Repentance is a transformation process that, is, that happens in our mind, but it also happens with our actions. Our actions change. Our behavior changes. And this is how John comes proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He says, listen, repent, turn, change, Turn from your way of thinking. Turn from your actions. Turn from your lifestyle. The reason why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is why I said earlier, church, that the church can't be our focus. Our focus has to be on God's kingdom. And John here comes and he says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is, has come. Well, what does that mean? You know, like have you ever like thought about this? Like, say, are we are we like in God's kingdom right now? Like, say, like, say, has God's kingdom come? Is God's kingdom ruling over this entire earth? God's kingdom is found and has come in Christ Jesus. You know how I said earlier out of Psalm 103 on how God's kingdom rules, He reigns over all of heaven and and earth here. God's kingdom is God's rule on mankind's life. Jesus coming, Jesus stepping down out of heaven into time to be here, it was God's kingdom coming. And it was, it was us having an opportunity to come in to God's kingdom. And John here is teaching the masses and the religious people, how do you get into God's kingdom? The first step is repentance. The first step is saying, God, I recognize within my life, my ways and my thoughts are not always right. And it's, it's, it's just recognizing who God is. That God, you are ultimately in charge. That God, that you reign in heaven. That God, you have authority over all. In church, to me, this is, this is so vital for us understanding God's kingdom and God's rule over us. Because what I see happen too often is that people think that the goal is to invite people to church or to invite people to become a Christian. God's plan, those could be part of it here, God's plan is inviting people into his kingdom. Inviting people into his reign, into his rule, where God has ultimate authority over their lives. And what I see happen too often is that people do not realize that if we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, things have to change within us to where we give up authority we give up ruling our own lives. It's not a corporate thing. You know, I would, I would uh, never argue that uh, this is a national thing because, because it's very much God is calling people from all nations, from around the world, regardless of political background, regardless of everything in this world, and he is inviting people to come under his rule. That's what it really means to be a part of God's kingdom is when men and women say, God, you're in charge. I'm not. You rule over all. And when Jesus came, he is inviting people into his kingdom. And it's not a realm. It's not, not a physical place. It's an authoritarian place. And now I would say this, this is really a daunting task because, because especially the times and places where, where we live. We live in such an individualistic society, and we love this idea of just freedom. And I would say, as a culture, that is what needs to be reigning. But when it comes to God's kingdom, it's about us submitting to God. It's about us saying, God, not, not my will and not my way, but your way. God, I'm going to submit to all of your authority, all of your plans, everything that you would have for me, I'm going to submit under you. So it's a real, real challenge because because I think for us as believers, we need to grasp this first. I have seen so many people grow up in churches and be a part of a church, but they've never come to a point to where they realize they're not in charge. And this is vital for God's kingdom. This is, this is vital for us to personally understand and I would also say collectively as a church to understand. We're not in charge. He is. And we submit to him and we give him all authority and he is reigning. Whether, whether we can see it or feel it, we have to live in a realm of saying, God, you are in charge. And I would challenge you guys today for you to personally be thinking about, who is in charge of your life? Seriously, think about this. Who's in charge of you? Is it you? Is it the government? Is it somebody else? Who's in charge of your life? Because this is the ultimate question within God's kingdom. And the answer is very, very simple. God is. He's in charge. He reigns. He sits in the heavens on high. He rules over all the nations, over all of mankind. But for us to be a part of God's kingdom, we have to recognize his authority. This is ultimately what repentance is. It's ultimately saying, God, I I recognize I've been living my own life. I recognize I've been living out my own sinful desires and my own passions. But God, I want to come and I want to submit to who you are and submit to your reign and come into your kingdom where you are in charge. I think about I think about Paul a lot. As you guys read the New Testament and especially as you read the book of Acts you see men and women constantly coming in to God's kingdom. And it's constantly the same way where they recognize this vital truth. I'm not in charge. Look what Paul says in Acts 24. We get a, some brief words here. This is Acts 24 verses 23 through 25. It says this, and now behold, this is Paul, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of heaven will see my face again. Think about this. Here's Paul. Paul's life here. He's on his way to Jerusalem. At this time, Jerusalem was not happy with him. They wanted to kill him. And Paul felt like this is where God was calling him to go. And Paul says, the only thing I know is this. Every city, every town, every village I go to, there's two things that await me. Imprisonment and affliction. Hardships. It's difficulties. But Paul looks at his own life. And he says, I don't, I don't value that. I don't value my way. I don't value my thoughts and my way of living. My only goal is to finish what God has called me to do. You see a man that is completely submissive, To the kingdom of God, to God's plan, to God's will, to God's way. And I would challenge us today, church, this is the life that God is calling us to. God is not calling you to get your best life now, He's calling you into His kingdom, into into His reign, into His authority. And the challenge for us is to simply submit to it. It's not easy. It's not always stuff that we want to do. It's not like every single day you're going to wake up and say, you know, I'm just so excited in the flesh to, to carry out what God has for me. But like what Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. He received a calling. And he decided to, to say, God, I'm going to live out this calling. No matter what the cost is, no matter what it's going to do to me physically, God, I'm going to live out this calling because I'm coming into your kingdom. And I would just really challenge us, church, we need to have a mindset of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, He is on the throne, not me and not you. And what really has to take place is we have to step off of our own throne and say, God, I'm going to submit fully to you. And I would say this is, this is so vital to being a follower of Christ. This is so fundamental because I have seen way too often within people's lives is that they claim to be a Christian, but the moment things become difficult, they lose all faith. And I would say because they've never come underneath the lordship of Christ. They've never submitted to God's plan and to God's ways. Because when you do, no matter what happens around you, no matter what happens to you physically, you know that you are secure in Christ because you're not living for you. You're not living for your your plans and your ways. And I want us as a church people to be people that come under and say, God, I want to submit to your kingdom and I want to do things your way. And I want to follow you, and I want to seek you no matter what happens. And God, I want to put your kingdom first and your ways first in my life. And I'm going to challenge people around me to do the same. And like I said, I, I do realize that is one daunting task. <laughs> to, be, to, be, to be preaching about God's kingdom, to be saying as what John says, people, Repent. Turn, come into God's kingdom. It is here. It, it has come and, and, and it is found in Christ Jesus. It's a daunting task, but it is our task. I want to be praying for us right now. I'm going to ask you to be, to be standing, and I want to be uh, praying that we would be men and women that will submit to God's kingdom at all costs. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up to be, to be singing more about God's kingdom. Father God, We thank you for who you are. Father, I think about how you taught your disciples to pray. Jesus, you told us that when we pray, that we would pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done. Father, my prayer for this church and for myself right now, Lord, is that we would be men and women that would fully submit to you that we would turn from our wicked ways and that we would come under your authority for our lives. Father, you, you are so good to your people. You have loved and cared us so much and you have proven that in your son Jesus. Father, may we worship you and honor you in all that we do. God, we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.